MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> This is the B, and you guessed it, it's Labor and Love for a Saturday morning here in the Mission District. Welcome, hope you had a good week and uh, good work. But Tuesday's just as bad. Wednesday's worse. And Thursday's also sad Yes, the eagle flies on Friday And Saturday I go out to play Eagle flies on Friday 
And Saturday I go out to play Sunday I go to church Then I kneel down and pray Checking on down the line 
Okay, that was uh, Taj Mahal and uh, Six Days on the Road, the trucker song. Six Days on the Road, gonna see my baby tonight, taking those little white pills. And we preceded that with um, the Stormy Monday Blues, or but Tuesday's just as bad, Stormy Monday Blues, T-Bone Walker talking about the working week, okay, the working person's week. And uh, before that, Dylan's subterranean homesick blues. This is The Bee, and you're tuned in to Labor and Love. It's a Saturday morning, and we're here with you to work part of the morning shift. Labor news, opinion, and commentary. Labor history, labor school, labor lessons. (laughs) This is it, the Labor and Love Show. We remind you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. And... uh, you know, if you don't have a seat at at the place you work, uh, at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And last, never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the B. Good morning, everybody. We're... Uh, Coming at you from 2781 21st Street here at Mutiny Radio. A city arts center, a rentable space. We got comedy, we got radio, we got video, we got storytelling, got live music. Come on down to Mutiny Radio, we still got some open spots. on our weekly schedule so come on in check it out if you ever wanted always wanted to be if you ever always (laughs) if you ever always wanted to be uh, a DJ this is your chance come on down what we're doing today with the music by the way I looked on my list of 25 most played songs Okay, that would be all, in all the time I've been doing the Labor and Love Show, what are the 25 most, most played songs? 
Well, you just heard three of them. The Homesick Blues. Uh, let see. Homesick Blues. I'm looking here to see what, yeah. Subterranean Homesick Blues came in uh, 45. And so that was number three. Um behind Lalo Guerrero's Marijuana Boogie and the Internacional, which are the most played songs on this show. And then Stormy Monday. Stormy Monday came in at number six. Six most popular song. And then um, Six Days on the Road at number 20. So what we're going through is the 25 most played songs on this show. And just to see which way the show's going uh, or has gone in the past. Um, hope that you had a good week. Remember, this show is dedicated to the 3,500 working brothers and sisters all around the world who will die today because of job-related conditions. Um, let's listen to some music. Yeah? As I noted before, um, 14th of July is a day of great significance for working people. This was when people, working people, took over the government and ran the country in France in the 1790s. And they were immediately under attack by the armed forces of Europe, the crown heads of Europe. They couldn't have this. So that day they broke down the Bastille, let out a couple, a few people, and uh, began the battle. This song, La Marseillaise, was written during a campaign against uh, the Austrians in 1792.
Okay. That was La Marseillaise, the French national anthem, the song of the uh, French Revolution, uh, celebrating Bastille Day, a great day for working people, July 14th, uh, celebrating the overthrow of the monarchy by the people themselves. Well, what do we got this week on Mutiny Radio's Labor and Love? Uh, here's the Win Weekend Review. Well, we're not getting when we can review. Well, let's get off that. The great Patsy Cline, the 15th most popular song in this show.
Just remember till you're home again You belong to me Thank you. 
some blues They say everything Nothing bluer Can be replaced They say every distance is not near contribution to this generation of music. Great songwriter performers 
Please make welcome Sean Colvin, Mary Chapin Carpenter, and Roseanne Cash. Sisters, Patsy Klein, with you belong to me. And then uh, Joe Glazer's and uh, the Glenn Miller Orchestra's uh, version of In the Mood. That's a tip of the hat to my mom and to her generation. And 
I shall be released. The uh, Nina Simone version, a beautiful bluesy version of a Dylan song. And finally, uh, you ain't going nowhere. So it wasn't meant to be, but it, this part is turning into a Bob Dylan tri tribute because we started with the homesick blues. Okay, enough already with the Bob Dylan. He'll probably sneak in there again some other way. And, uh, how about the world's greatest singer? The world's greatest singer.
Bruce Springsteen there with Pay Me My Money Down. I wanted to play something a little more um, topical. Surprising, the songs that I've played the most here have been the songs that are not the most topical of all, which uh, is probably something that I need to change. I need to figure out. Um, That's not what I want to be doing on this show, although I do have favorites, and and I'm sure you do too, songs you just want to hear. So we try to balance that with uh, more topical, more traditional labor stuff. That was uh, Pay Me My Money Down by Bruce Springsteen. Thank you. 
And that was uh, Take the A Train by uh, Duke Ellington, preceded by Al Green's uh, Pretty Women. Get on now with some radio labor. Got two reports on radio labor today. We've got uh, driverless trucks and job loss. So what does this mean when people talk about driverless roboticized trucks and cars? What does that mean for the people who do that work normally? Well, you can take a guess. <laughs> and... Um, Labor warns against a huge trade agreement. We'll listen to that one next. Here's the driverless trucks one. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor News update recorded on Monday, July 3rd, 2017. I'm Mark Belanger. One of the great challenges facing unions which represent transportation workers is the advent of driverless trucks. A new study by the International Transport Forum says that automated freight transport could reduce demand for truck drivers in the U.S. and Europe by 50 to 70 percent over the next 15 years. The result could be that up to four and a half million trucking jobs could disappear. One of the organizations involved in producing the new report is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents more than 16 million workers who are members of 700 unions in 150 countries. Mac Arata is the Inland Transport Secretary of the ITF. He was interviewed at a conference in Leipzig, Germany, where the report about autonomous freight transport was released. Autonomous freight transport. Is this a good thing? Is this, is this going to be something important for the future? It could be a good thing if this improves road safety, this reduces uh, carbon emission, if this is efficient, if there's a fairer distribution of the operations, transport, the transport operations between the different hours of the day, then perhaps this is a good thing that there is less road congestion, for example, but it should not be at the cost of the workers being displaced without proper compensation or uh, redeployment or training. What do you see of the, as the big challenges of autonomous road freight? One big challenge is that we may not know who the new employers would be. For instance, if you have a trucking company in Leipzig, and if there are autonomous trucks, do you need to control it in Leipzig by a local employer? You could have someone controlling the whole system in America, or Japan, or Cape Town. And then how would we relate to that employer and negotiate our conditions? That's the challenge for us. What, what are perhaps the positives for you? What do, do you see opportunities for your, for your members, for the people you represent? We could see opportunities that this could create new types of jobs, perhaps more jobs um, in operation, perhaps not in driving, but in operation, for example. But benefits would also be for, for the communities and, and for, the, for the society as a whole if there is just transition. But we see a lot of challenges as well as opportunities, and I admit it, we, this is a kind of a mixed bag for us uh, as much as it is for the employers and the governments. 
fully 10% of the labor force of the United Kingdom is engaged in perilous, insecure work. Trying to help these 3 million workers is the British Trades Union Congress. The TUC represents 5.6 million workers in 50 unions. As part of its campaign to win better conditions for workers in perilous work, the TUC has released a video interview of a young worker employed in the video gaming industry. She asked that her name not be used out of fear of retaliation. My uh, company is exploiting um, contracted workers and I'm one of them. I'm a self-employed contractor working in the gaming industry. I've been working there for come near two years, uh, but I'm increasingly frustrated and angry with them. They exploit me and all the other contracted staff. The real difference between permanent and self-employed workers is that they get the benefits and we don't. I don't get sick pay, I don't get holiday pay, so there's no flexibility for me working from home either. Planning the future is near impossible. Trying to get a mortgage, I can't get that. I tried to get the employer to pay into my pension. That doesn't happen for self-employed people like me. I will never be able to retire and receive a decent pension. This type of working culture is grown by silent approval and condoned by the government. The problem is of monstrous size yet barely ever in the public eye. The current system doesn't help the worker like me, the taxpaying worker. It helps the exploiter. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Labor news you can use. Um, there's a skinny from transport workers about a proposed huge trade agreement. Well, hasn't started up yet. Let's forget that one. And go over here to uh, Richard Wolf. Uh, and I want to preface th this is like a sh short talk, three, four minutes, by a Marxist economist, uh, Richard Wolf, whose analysis of the situation is. Uh, always perceptive and always couched in, carefully couched in terms of, in other words, he's critical, let's put it that way, he's critical of capitalism and what it does to people. So the last uh, several years we've had a fight for 15 movement. Workers demanding $15 an hour, which is itself barely enough to live on, maybe not even in, in lots of places. So there's been some success, but right away then people come and say, the naysayers come and say, oh no, look what we did. We, 
We destroyed our own jobs by raising the minimum wage to $15. We're destroying uh, small businesses. They're no longer able to employ people. Uh, okay. Why is this a false? Here's Richard Wolf. Welcome, friends, to another Econo Minute brought to you by Democracy at Work. And this one's about the minimum wage and the endless debate about whether we should raise it and thereby risk some people losing their jobs or protect those jobs by keeping the minimum wage at the terribly low rate it now stands, condemning people who earn that amount of money a poverty existence. One group of economists at UC Berkeley make a study and say, Stays about the same. essentially been no raise in wages. CEO compensation is way up. Good time to be a CEO. So, um, 
happened uh, last week. I'm going to come in a little on this. We know from the outset that Mr. Trump's program, indeed the program of the Republican Party, is to feed the rich, attack workers everywhere you can, attack workers, attack their organizations, attack their, the things they need, do away with the things they need. voted on a health care bill, actually to discuss a health care bill. They don't have one. So what they're trying to do is get some kind of a uh, victory, anything that they can get through the Congress. And two of the people who, who um, resisted them, Susan Collins and Remember that all the Democrats voted against it. Right? Um, Forty-eight of them, plus an independent, I guess Bernie. I'm not sure about him. And the bill, the bills never came to. Question is, what'll happen now? Day in labor history. Jump on that. This has to do with with Homestead School, one of the bitterest, bloodiest confrontation between capital and labor. Americans, certain Americans, assassination attempt, philanthropist. Anyway, it's the Homestead Strike, and it came in 1892 when Andrew Carnegie Steel Company, that Steel, Carnegie Steel, uh, Carnegie had attacked, had, they had successfully attacked several of the uh, mills around in the area that had been unionized and Homestead was like the strongest uh, pro-union town in the area and what happened were pitched battles as Carnegie and his agent Henry Clay Frick tried to shut tried to shut out the union workers and invite in scab workers and at one point, they hired 300 Pinkerton detectives to come, come into the town of Homestead uh, 
on barges. Crowd attacked the barge, sunk it. Uh, the Pinkertons had to run a gauntlet to get back to the jail where they were arrested for their own good. Um, on July 23rd, 1892, Frick was in his office. Now, Carnegie had left for his summer holiday in Scotland, his homeland. So he was not there. He had a reputation of being a philanthropist, of giving money for uh, civic projects, for libraries, you know, for art centers. Uh, gave money to art departments. And anyway, Andrew Carnegie was one of the major capitalists of the time. His, his, sec his um, agent, Henry Clay Frick, was the one who actually ran the strike, ran, managed the war against the workers. And at one point, a famous anarchist named Alexander Berkman ran into Frick's office with a gun and shot at him twice. Uh, Frick survived covered, but uh, that shooting turned a lot of people off. They uh, got scared Americans will that they were going to lose something. How could they do that to this guy? He was a family man. At any rate, was ultimately unsuccessful. The union was ultimately unsuccessful and many un union leaders were uh, blacklisted. Black uh, phenomenon we hear much more about in the 1950s that happened all the time in these kinds of conflicts. And I would recommend to you film called The River Ran Red The River Ran Red about the homestead strike and about the pitched battles in those days labor was labor was not you know the kind of uh systematized, uh, kind of official. It was workers out in the street. It wasn't like big stuff shirt management who are just the same as the uh, union people they're negotiating with. They all have their suits and they all hang out in the same places and in the same groups. And they all talk. At that time, workers were serious and they had a surprising level of awareness about society and labor, which, uh, you know, these were the immigrant people who came to do the cheap labor. 
I'd like to see if we could get This is Howell, and this is uh, 1956, I believe. The great Allen Ginsberg reading Howell. This is, after all, the summer of love. But Ginsberg's Howell is a howl of pain. A howl of pain, a howl of anger. The way people are treated. So here's Allen Ginsberg's Howl, part one, one of the seminal American poems of the century. Howl for Carl Solomon. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollow-eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz, who bared their brains to heaven under the L and saw Mohammedan angels staggering on tenement roofs illuminated, who passed through universities with radiant cool eyes hallucinating Arkansas and Blake-like tragedy among the scholars of war, who were expelled from the academies for crazy and publishing obscene odes on the windows of the skull, who cowered in unshaven rooms in underwear, burning their money in waste baskets and listening to the terror through the wall, who got busted in their pubic beards returning through Laredo with a belt of marijuana for New York, who ate fire in paint hotels or drank turpentine in Paradise Alley, death, or purgatoried their torsos night after night with dreams, with drugs, with waking nightmares, alcohol and cock and endless balls, incomparable blind streets of shuddering cloud and lightning in the mind leaping toward poles of Canada and Patterson, illuminating all the motionless world of time between... <clears throat> Peyote solidities of halls, backyard green tree cemetery dawns, wine drunkenness over the rooftops, storefront burrows of tea head joyride, neon blinking traffic light, sun and moon and tree vibrations in the roaring winter dusks of Brooklyn, ash can rantings and kind king light of mind who chained themselves to subways for the endless ride from Battery to Holy Bronx on Benzedrine until the noise of wheels and children brought them down shuddering mouth racked and battered bleak of brain all drained of brilliance in the drear light of zoo who sank all night in submarine light of Bickford's, floated out and sat through the stale beer afternoon in desolate fugazis, listening to the crack of doom on the hydrogen jukebox, 
who talked continuously 70 hours from park to pad to bar to Bellevue to museum to the Brooklyn Bridge. A lost battalion of platonic conversationalists jumping down the stoops, off fire escapes, off window sills, off Empire State, out of the moon. Yakety yakking, screaming, vomiting, whispering facts and memories and anecdotes and eyeball kicks and shocks of hospitals and jails and wars. Whole intellects disgorged in total recall for seven days and nights with brilliant eyes. Meet for the synagogue cast on the pavement who vanished into nowhere, Zen, New Jersey, leaving a trail of ambiguous picture postcards of Atlantic City Hall. <clears throat> Suffering eastern sweats and Tangerian bone grindings and migraines of China under junk withdrawal in Newark's bleak furnished room, who wandered around and around at midnight in the railroad yard, wondering where to go and went, leaving no broken hearts who lit cigarettes in boxcars, boxcars, boxcars racketing through snow toward lonesome farms in grandfather night, who studied Plotinus, Poe, St. John of the Cross, the Book of the Dead, telepathy, and Bop Kabbalah, because the cosmos instinctively vibrated at their feet in Kansas who loaned it through the streets of Idaho, seeking visionary Indian angels who were visionary Indian angels, who thought they were only mad when Baltimore gleamed in supernatural ecstasy, who jumped in limousines with the Chinamen of Oklahoma on the impulse of winter, midnight, street lights, small town, rain, who lounged hungry and lonesome through Houston seeking jazz or sex or soup, and followed the brilliant Spaniard to converse about America and eternity, a hopeless task, and so took ship to Africa, who disappeared into the volcanoes of Mexico, leaving behind nothing but the shadow of dungarees and the lava and ash of poetry scattered in fireplace Chicago, who reappeared on the West Coast investigating the FBI in beards and shorts with big pacifist eyes, sexy in their dark skin, passing out incomprehensible leaflets, <laughs> who burned cigarette holes in their arms protesting the narcotic tobacco haze of capitalism who distributed super-communist pamphlets in Union Square, weeping and undressing while the sirens of Los Alamos wailed them down and wailed down wall, and the Staten Island Ferry also wailed, who broke down crying in white gymnasiums naked and trembling before the machinery of other skeletons, who bit detectives in the neck and shrieked, with delight in police cars for committing no crime but their own wild cooking, pederasty, and intoxication, who howled on their knees in the subway and were dragged off the roof waving genitals and manuscripts, who let themselves be fucked in the ass by saintly motorcyclists and screamed with joy, who blew and were blown by those human seraphim, the sailors, caresses of Atlantic and Caribbean love, who bawled in the morning and the evenings in rose gardens and the grass of public parks and cemeteries, scattering and their semen freely to whomever come who may. 
who hiccuped endlessly trying to giggle but wound up with a sob behind a partition in a Turkish bath when the blonde and naked angel came to pierce them with a sword, who lost their love boys to the three old shrews of fate, the one-eyed shrew of the heterosexual dollar, the one-eyed shrew that winks out of the womb, and the one-eyed shrew that does nothing but sit on her ass and snip the intellectual golden threads of the craftsman's loom who copulated ecstatic and insatiate with a bottle of beer, a sweetheart, a package of cigarettes, a candle, and fell off the bed, and continued along the floor and down the hall, and ended fainting on the wall with a vision of ultimate cunt and come eluding the last chism of consciousness, who sweetened the snatches of a million girls trembling in the sunset, and were red-eyed in the morning, but prepared to sweeten the snatch of the sunrise, flashing buttocks under barns and naked in the lake, who went out whoring through Colorado in myriad stolen night cars, Neil Cassidy, secret hero of these poems, joy to the memory of his innumerable lays of girls in empty lots and diner backyards, coxman and Adonis of Denver, movie houses, rickety rows, on mountaintops, in caves, or with gaunt waitresses in familiar roadside, lonely petticoat upliftings, and especially secret gas station solipsisms of John's and hometown alleyways, too who faded out in vast, sordid movies, were shifted in dreams, woke on a sudden Manhattan, and picked themselves up out of basements hung over with heartless tokay and horrors of Third Avenue iron dreams and stumbled to unemployment offices, who walked all night with their shoes full of blood on the snowbank docks waiting for a door in the East River to open to a room full of steam, heat, and opium, <clears throat> who created great suicidal dramas on the apartment cliff banks of the Hudson under the wartime blue floodlight of the moon, and their head shall be crowned with laurel in oblivion, who ate the lamb stew of the imagination or digested the crab at the muddy bottom of the rivers of Bowery, who wept at the romance of the streets with their push carts full of onions and bad music, who sat in boxes, breathing in darkness under the bridge, and rose up to build harpsichords in their lofts, who coughed on the sixth floor of Harlem, crowned with flame under the tubercular sky, surrounded by orange crates of theology, who scribbled all night, rocking and rolling over lofty incantations, which in the yellow morning were stanzas of gibberish, who cooked rotten animals, lung, heart, feet, Tail, borscht and tortillas, dream. Who plunged themselves under meat trucks looking for an egg? Who threw their watches off the roof to cast their ballot for eternity outside of time? And alarm clocks fell on their heads every day for the next decade who cut their wrists three times successively, unsuccessfully, gave up and were forced to open antique stores where they thought they were growing old and cried, 
were buried in their innocent flannel suits on Madison Avenue amid the blasts of leaden verse and tanked up clatter of the iron regiments of fashion and the nitroglycerin shrieks of the fairies of advertising and the mustard gas of sinister intelligent editors or were run down by the drunken taxicabs of absolute reality who jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, this actually happened, and walked away unknown and forgotten into the ghostly days of Chinatown soup, alleyways and fire trucks, not even one free beer, who sang out of their windows in despair, fell out of the subway, jumped in the filthy Passaic, leaped on Negroes, cried all over the street, danced on broken wine glasses, barefoot smashed phonograph records of nostalgic European 1930s German jazz, finished the whiskey and threw up groaning into the bloody toilet, moans in their ears and the blast of colossal steam whistles who barreled down the highways of the past, journeying to each other's hot rod, Golgotha jail solitude watch, or Birmingham jazz incarnation, who drove cross-country 72 hours to find out if I had a vision, or you had a vision, or he had a vision, to find out eternity, who journeyed to Denver, who died in Denver, who came back to Denver and waited in vain, who watched over Denver and brooded and loaned in Denver, and finally went away to find out the time, and now Denver is lonesome for her heroes, who fell on their knees in hopeless cathedrals, praying for each other's salvation and flight and rest, until the soul illuminated its hair for a second, who crashed through their minds in jail, waiting for impossible criminals with golden heads and the charm of reality in their hearts, who sang sweet blues to Alcatraz, who retired to Mexico to cultivate a habit, or Rocky Mount to tender Buddha, or Tangiers to boys, or Southern Pacific to the black locomotive, or Harvard to Narcissus to Woodlawn to the daisy chain or grave, who demanded sanity trials, accusing the radio of hypnotism, and were left with their insanity in their hands in a hung jury who threw potato salad at College of the City of New York lecturers on Dadaism and subsequently presented themselves on the granite steps of the madhouse with shaven heads and harlequin speech of suicide, demanding instantaneous lobotomy, and who were given instead the concrete void of insulin, metrosol, electricity, hydrotherapy, psychotherapy, occupational therapy, ping pong, and amnesia who in humorless protest overturned only one symbolic ping-pong table, resting briefly in Catatonia, returning years later truly bald, except for a wig of blood and tears and fingers, to the visible doom of the wards of the mad towns of the East, pilgrim states, rocklands and grey stones, fetid halls, bickering with echoes of the soul, rocking and rolling in the midnight solitude bench, dolman realms of love, dream of life a nightmare, bodies turned to stone as heavy as the moon, with mother finally asterisked, and the last fantastic book flung out of the tenement window, and the last door closed at 4 a.m., and the last telephone slammed at the wall in reply, and the last furnished room emptied down to the last piece of mental furniture, 
a yellow paper rose twisted on a wire hanger in the closet, and even that imaginary, nothing but a hopeful little bit of hallucination. Ah, uh, Carl, while you are not safe, I am not safe. And now you're really in the total animal soup of time. And who, therefore, ran through the icy streets obsessed with the sudden flash of the alchemy of the use of the ellipse, the catalog, the meter, and the vibrating plane, who dreamt and made incarnate gaps in time and space through images juxtaposed, and trapped the archangel of the soul between two visual images, and joined the elemental verbs, and set the noun and dash of consciousness together, jumping with sensation of pater omnipotens to recreate the syntax and measure of poor human prose, and stand before you speechless and intelligent, and shaking with shame, rejected yet confessing out the soul to conform to the rhythm of thought in his naked and endless head, the mad man, bum, and angel beat in time, unknown, yet putting down here what might be left to say in time come after death, and rose reincarnate in the ghostly clothes of jazz in the gold horn shadow of the band, and blew the suffering of America's naked mind for love into an alien saxophone cry that shivered the cities down to the last radio with the absolute heart of the poem of life butchered out of their own bodies, good to eat a thousand years. What sphinx of cement and aluminum bashed open their skulls and ate up their brains and imagination? Moloch, solitude, filth, ugliness, ash cans and unobtainable dollars, children screaming under stairways, boys sobbing in armies, old men weaving in the parks. Moloch, Moloch, nightmare of Moloch, Moloch the loveless, mental Moloch, Moloch the heavy judger of men, Moloch the incomprehensible prison, Moloch, the cross-bones, soulless jailhouse and congress of sorrows. Moloch, whose buildings are judgment. Moloch, the vast stone of war. Moloch, the stunned government. Moloch, whose mind is pure machinery. Moloch, whose blood is running money. Moloch, whose fingers are ten armies. Moloch, whose breast is a cannibal dynamo. Moloch, whose ear is a smoking tomb. Moloch, whose eyes are a thousand blind windows. Moloch, whose skyscrapers stand in the long streets like endless Jehovah's. Moloch, whose factories dream and croak in the fog. Moloch, whose smokestacks and antennae crown the cities. Moloch, whose love is endless oil and stone. Moloch, whose soul is electricity and banks. Moloch, whose poverty is the specter of genius. Moloch, whose fate is a cloud of sexless hydrogen. Moloch, whose name is the mind. 
Moloch, in whom I sit lonely. Moloch, in whom I dream angels. Crazy in Moloch, cocksucker in Moloch, lack love and menless in Moloch. Moloch, who entered my soul early. Moloch, in whom I am a consciousness without a body. Moloch, who frightened me out of my natural ecstasy. Moloch, whom I abandon. Wake up in Moloch, light streaming out of the sky. Moloch, Moloch.
That was the uh, Chambers Brothers with uh, Time Has Come Today. Before that, we had two verses of the poem Howl by Allen Ginsberg. The second part was an attack on Moloch, the god of capitalism, uh, that gives everything a price and gives back less than it gets in. And then we had the Chambers Brothers talk about the summer of love. That song, Time Has Come Today, was very, very uh, prominent in the summer of love. Um, beautiful song. How about the Win Weekend Review here? Um... Hear more on SoundCloud. Okay, here we go. When we can review. Still waiting for when we can review. Labor and love here. Diversified Media Enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren says the Republican efforts to destroy Obamacare piecemeal through a skinny repeal isn't a compromise and will destroy the most critical parts of the Affordable Care Act. If Republicans are successful, she says, health insurance will be unaffordable for millions of people, especially those with pre-existing conditions. This isn't a more moderate version of the Republicans' ugly plan to repeal the Affordable Care Act. This isn't compromise. In fact, this may be the worst idea they've had yet. Because if Senate Republicans vote to repeal the individual mandate, they're getting rid of the linchpin of the insurance markets in this country. And that's because this provision, the one that the Republicans want to junk, is what keeps the price of insurance affordable for people with pre-existing conditions. Warren says the callous attitude from Republicans about what repealing the Affordable Care Act will really do to endanger the health and lives of millions of real people is reprehensible. Senate Republicans who voted to move forward with their effort to rip away Americans' health care are not listening to the people they represent. 
Their vote was irresponsible. It was reckless. It was cruel. It was immoral. UAW President Dennis Williams, in a letter to union members, says he is appalled by an alleged criminal misuse of funds by a Fiat Chrysler executive and a former UAW vice president. Williams says the UAW has zero tolerance for corruption or wrongdoing of any kind. The UAW says the alleged criminal conduct by the late General Holyfield, a former UAW vice president who died in 2015, was a betrayal of trust by a former member of our union. A former Fiat Chrysler executive was indicted for conspiracy and other federal crimes for allegedly embezzling funds from a workers' training center in a conspiracy with the former UAW official. No union dues were involved in the alleged crime. The UAW is conducting an internal investigation into the allegations in the indictment. Industrial global union affiliates worldwide, including in the U.S., are welcoming a stated commitment from Rio Tinto to improve that huge company's relationships with trade unions. Rio Tinto is the second largest group of mining companies on the planet. An industrial statement on the new development said, quote, Industrial welcomes the commitment and we will invest in developing and monitoring this new relationship. Rio Tinto has made a policy decision to change the culture of the company. This is a groundbreaking development, and it's long overdue for this global giant to recognize the role and importance of trade unions, end quote. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com. That was WIN, uh, Workers Independent News, Senator Labor Report. Um, let me shut this down here so it doesn't interrupt. Um, yeah, that's got it. Um, so yeah, the issues that are facing, uh, workers in this country and, uh, the criminal vote in the House of Representatives and in, in the Senate, uh, to take health care away from people, criminal things that... Mr. Trump said this week about transgender people. These are criminal offenses. And if we don't have laws in place that apprehend, or if it's easy for them to get away with it, which it seems to be, we have to do something. We have to become outraged. We have to get mad. All right, I want to get back to Richard Wolf and the arguments for and against uh, $15 minimum wage. <clears throat> uh, let's see if we can get this to play. Welcome, friends, to another Econo Minute brought to you by Democracy at Work. And this one's about the minimum wage and the endless debate about whether we should raise it and thereby risk some people losing their jobs or protect those jobs by keeping the minimum wage at the terribly low rate it now stands, condemning people who earn that amount of money a poverty existence. One group of economists at UC Berkeley make a study and say, gee, if you raise the minimum wage, not many jobs will be lost. 
and a competing group of conservative economists at the University of Washington make the opposite case. If you raise minimum wages, a significant number of people earning very little will lose their jobs because employers are not willing to pay a bit more. And we're supposed to agonize over these two things, to decide which we want, keeping workers at a poverty level minimum wage or threatening unemployment by raising the minimum wage. This is like being confronted in a dark alley by a mugger who says to you, which do you prefer? I stab you or I throttle you? A reasonable person would respond immediately by saying, that's not a choice I accept. That's not a choice I'm willing to make. And to take steps, whatever ones are available, to stop the mugger from being in a position to impose such an awful choice. And that's exactly what we ought to be doing if we were responsible economists when confronted by the choice between an awful minimum wage and losing poor people their jobs by raising the minimum wage. That's also a choice we can and we should reject, just like the mugger's threat, which is what it is. Why? Because a decent economy, an economy that wants our support, has to provide to the people of a society jobs so they can do good work and proper incomes so they can lead their lives and do good work. An economy unable to provide both doesn't deserve our support. Just like a person we encounter in a dark alley who gives us a choice of different ways to be hurt or killed doesn't deserve to be taken seriously, and the last thing on earth we would do in that dark alley is agonize over which is better, being throttled, being stabbed. We wouldn't do that. And we oughtn't to be asking which is better, getting some poor people a higher wage and risking them being fired or saving those jobs and condemning everybody to live at a low minimum wage. That is not acceptable. What economists ought to be doing is figuring out how this economy we live in can provide everyone with a decent job and everyone who has such a decent job with a correspondingly decent income. And an economic system that can't do that, that wants us to debate between one or another unsatisfactory situation, that debate over the minimum wage is exactly that. That kind of an economy doesn't deserve our support and has lost its right to exist. The fight for 15, when someone makes that argument to you, well, oh, geez, if we raise the minimum wage, something bad will happen. Something bad will happen. For whom? At any rate, it's a phony argument. It's a sign of uh, an economy that doesn't work. If you have to choose between paying workers a living wage, which the minimum wage 
in most cases is not even a living wage. If you have to choose between that and you have to choose between jobs being destroyed and small businesses going out of businesses, business and what, a cho what kind of choice is that? I mean, when you're presented with such a choice, you should understand that something is very wrong. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, the world you're in, the economic world you're in, uh, certainly the rich don't have to worry about uh, divestitures, anything. All those decisions are made for them. It's, it's we who have to. Okay, it's 11.42 here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. And we're coming to the end of our two-hour stint here, getting it ready for Scott Walker and his show, Flat Black Plastic. This Day in Labor History. On July 16, 1931, a white mob murdered the black sharecropper organizer Ralph Gray in Tallapoosa County, Alabama. This murder demonstrated both the very real communist organizing among black sharecroppers in Alabama and the extent to which whites would go to keep control of their rural labor force decades after the Civil War. This guy, Ralph Gray, should be a hero, but in a country like ours and the, the way the history is written and by whom, he's relatively unknown. He was born into a family with a long history of fighting for black rights. His grandfather had served in the Alabama State Legislature during Reconstruction. Gray was born in 1873 and fought for his own personal survival through the terrible oppression that defined his life. He moved to Birmingham for a while before returning to Tallapoosa in 1895 to get married and become a tenant farmer. He became one of the chief organizers in the South, and on July 16th, he was murdered, and the crowd used his, the white crowd used his body for target practice. Okay, I want to play one more. Wanted to make sure and play this one. Every once in a while, you find a song. It just really lays it all out and says it all. This is Lupe Fiasco. Sometimes you just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't sleep in our history. When no slave ships, when no misery Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep, and I had a dream It was all black, everything And we ain't get exploited White man ain't 
spirit so he did not destroy it Wayne worked for free see they had to employ it built it up together so we equally appointed first 400 years see we actually enjoyed it constitution written by w.e.b. du bois when the reconstruction civil war got avoided little black sambo grows up to be a lawyer extra extra on the newsstands black woman voted head of ku klux klan malcolm little dies as an old man martin luther king read the eulogy for ham followed by bill o'reilly who read from the quran president bush sends condolences from iran where fox news reports live that amadini job wins the mandela peace prize Keeping it real's not an understood concept. Yeah, complexion's not a contest. Cause racism has no context. Hip hop ain't got a section called conscious. Everybody rapping like crack never happened. Crips never occurred, no bloods to attack then. Matter of fact, no hood to attack in. Somalia's a great place to relax in. Fred Astaire was the first to do a backspin. The Rat Pack was a cool group of black men that inspired five white guys called the Jacksons. Eminem fitted in, but then again, he inspired a black rapper trying to mimic him. And that's who really rose up out of Michigan. A sign of white rapper by the name of Fred Astaire. You'll never know you'll ever be. If you never try, you'll never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the one no slaves in our history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep, and I had a dream. It was all black, everything. Uh, and I know it's just a fantasy. I cordially invite you to ask why can't it be? Now we can't. All black everything by Lupe Fiasco. We're going to have to cut that a little short. Uh, I want to go over the lyrics in that song. Next week we'll go into that song uh, much more uh, in much more depth. Right now it's time to say goodbye for this week. This is the B signing off, the Labor and Love Show. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, too, that if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. This is the B signing off. Come on down to Mutiny Radio. Hello, everybody. Hello, Solina. Hello, Vita. Hello, Sylvia. Don't forget Charlie and Lexi. Have a good week and good work, everyone.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Want to spend a summer Sunday laughing your cares away? Then come join the fun at San Francisco's Comedy Day. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs, and it's free. Besides our annual celebration of stand-up, did you know that Comedy Day offers workshops that teach Bay Area students how to use humor to resolve conflict? Comedy Day is so serious about ending bullying, it's banning all comedians from using the following phrases. Knee slapping, side splitting, break a leg, bust a gut, knock them dead. Those words hurt. But Comedy Day feels good. It's fun for the whole family. Did I mention it's free? Hey, comedy fans, don't miss the 37th Annual Comedy Day, the original longest-running free outdoor comedy concert in the world. The funny starts at noon on Sunday, September 17th at Sharon Meadow in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco. One stage, five hours, 40 comedians, a million laughs. It's free! (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. 
Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> hey, folks. It's Flat Black Plastic on Mutiny Radio. FM. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for. Thank you. 